Good evening, everyone. Welcome. So we'll continue our discussion. We left off last night with um, some description of the sunrise that in West Bengal, in Mayapur, in Nadia, Nadia Udyagiri. And um, so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu has appeared and uh, the uh, day has broken, if you will. And again, this is just a summary or a synopsis of the uh, entire beginning portion of Chaitanya's Leela. And this synopsis will end within a few beautiful verses wherein, as I mentioned last night, the meter has changed. And um, and it's already a poetic book, but even a more poetic description is embarked upon. Se kali nila jal nijalai uti adwitaroi nitjokori anonditamane horidase lana sange hunkar kirtanarange kene nache kene nahijane. So we're we're now. Uh, brought back to the person of Advaita, who was so instrumental in bringing about the appearance of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with regard to the external reasons for his appearance. And uh, about him here, it said, Se Kalinila Nijalai Utya Advaita Rai Nitchikari Anandittamane. So he was in his own home. Hmm? Sekalanijalai. At this time, he was in his own home, and he was <coughs> dancing and in a joyous mood. So it's not that um, everyone knew that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was born. His parents knew, of course, but but uh, Advaita had some insight, and uh, so he was. Celebrating and um, dancing and 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 Haridase long sange, hunkar kirtanarange, kenenache kenenahijane. Now another person who was mentioned earlier in terms of the elders of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who appeared before him, hmm? Haryastakur, is again um, mentioned. And here it is said that Vidwaita, taking Haridas with him, danced loudly and chanted, Keninache, Keninahijane. Nahijane, nobody knew why they were dancing. So they had some mystic uh, insight into the event and the, the significance of the, of the time and so forth, being the birth time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And for good reason. Hmm? Let me um, read a couple more verses here, where the uh, well, one more or so that the two or two are uh, mentioned, further discussed, and then we'll explain a little bit about um, the two of them and, and how they knew. We well, you know how to knew it. Deki uparag hasi. Chole, Brahmanere Dila Nanadan. 
having seen the lunar eclipse, laughing, Advaita Charja and Haridas immediately went to the bank of the Ganges. They bathed in the river in great joy. Taking advantage of the occasion, Advaita, by his mental strength or in meditation, gave in charity to all the Brahmins. ジョガダンドモイデキモネサビシモイタレトレカヘホリダストマラキンチャンドロンゲモンマンプラサナデキキチュカジェアチェバジョガダンドモイデキモネサビシモイタレトレカヘクシナダスウネソアダダホールウォ
measures of penetration into transcendence that are possible by slightly nuancing the basic practices and then beyond the tradition itself. Just look, for, for example, I'll give you an example. We are all doing Chaitanya Bhakti, Gaudiya Vaishnavism here in our, our lineage. But um, within the lineage there are, as we know, different possibilities. One could attain love like a friend of Krishna or uh, to follow in the wake of the romantic love for Krishna. So these are nuanced differences and they'll be determined by factors um, that play a role in the, in the, in the practice itself. And so beyond that, we also accept there's fraternal love of Krishna in, in, in Braj and servile love for Krishna in Braj. And then we acknowledge that there is a, a realm of majesty besides this realm of intimacy where God, it appears, for example, with forearms. He's obviously God. This is the idea. And uh, so with, with reverential love, he's worshipped. Hmm. Um, and and then there's uh, and then there may be bhakti mixed with 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 gyan, that with knowledge that um, results in a, a a kind of identification with the non differentiated indeterminate expression of transcendence, often referred to as brahman. So there are all types of um, possibilities that we acknowledge. So there can be different interpretations of the sacred texts. And um, and the great Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in commenting on Bhagavad Gita, where Krishna says in the fourth chapter that I, I come yuga after you, millennium after millennium, to establish principles of dharma and so forth, Bhaktivinoda commented, and that's not exclusive to India, so he may appear in other places in other ways and teach the dharma differently in those places and so on. Bhaktivinoda Thakur himself was very pluralistic and, and um, he invoked a term um, that we've named our, 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 our community in North Carolina. I think you've been there. Saragrahi is the name. It means essence-seeking. So he coined a term, I should say, Saragrahi Vaishnav, and he contrasted the Saragrahi Vaishnav with the Barabahi Vaishnav. So Saragrahi means an essence-seeking, one who gravitates towards and embraces the essence of the tradition. And then there's the Barabahi. Barabahi means who, who bears a heavy load, bears the heavy load of identifying only with the externals of the tradition and tends to fight with others over the differences and you wear your tilak like that, we wear it like this, and you dress, and so forth. So this is, we see this, of course, across the board, and, and, and that there are, in all religious uh, traditions, there are essence-seeking persons, and then there are the ones that gravitate towards the outside. I think we all gravitate towards the inside, you're drawn in, but then inevitably our conditioning draws us towards the outside. You know, that's where we need good teachers and, and sadhus to help keep keep drawing us within, helping us to see the essence, what we might have embraced at an earlier stage may need to be let go at another stage. And and something else on a deeper level embraced it. But the understanding of what it is we're involved in, where we're going, that will mature and grow over time and 
You may look back, oh, I used to think it was like this. It was, it's like this. So, <clears throat> so at any rate, Advaita was commenting, and it was mentioned earlier here in the chapter, all from a bhakti perspective. The jnana perspective, the knowledge perspective, is one in which I like to say the ideal is loving to exist. Now our existence seems threatened. And we have to work to to struggle, if you will, to exist, to sustain ourselves and be at odds with others invariably. Um, but when we, if, if we can arrive at uh, experience of the inner self, the I, then we can we can we can celebrate in the joy uh, that we are eternal and rest peacefully. So, joy means here ananda to love. So loving to exist. So it's one thing to love to exist. It's another thing to exist to love. And this is the difference between the. The, 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 the gyan or the knowledge orientation where knowledge is the goal and the bhakti orientation where love is the goal. So to love to exist or to exist to love, these are ways in which the satchitananda, the being, the knowing and the loving components of the self are, um, how would you say, um, uh, differently uh, emphasized. Hmm? So we are a unit of being, knowing, and loving. So in the Gyan perspective, the being aspect, Sat is emphasized, to be, so to love to exist. I'm, I'm eternal, I'm, that's enough. It's been a struggle <laughs> to try to exist, to try to be, uh, and have and, and constantly be be um, on the defense and so forth and uh, the your pure life is kind of you know it's it, it's a war if you will in a, in a sense war war their own minds even hmm. so love to exist so in this um, scenario the components being knowing and loving the being is prominent and the knowing that I be and the loving to be is how the, the, the chit, the knowing, and the ananda, the loving, are, um, play out. They're kind of like adjectives to, to the being, or aspects of the being. In bhakti, it's reversed, so that the, the, the loving is the um, main emphasis, and we're existing to love. And and um, uh, and interestingly, of course, from our perspective, when you have a loving existence, hmm, the fact of the matter is, when you love your your existence, let's say your your place of domicile is of less consequence. Hmm. If you love someone, you could live in a cave. If the, if the two of you are together, something like that. That's the main thing. That, so the existence and, and the need to know something hmm, diminishes with loving. Hmm. It said ignorance is bliss, so there's some truth to it, something like that. In a, this is in a very transcendental sense. So I don't need to know anything, I don't need to have anything. Hmm. 
or uh, you have to exist and be cognizant to love. Hmm? But here the loving is the main thing and existing and the cognizance are kind of attributes of it, something like that. So existing to love, loving to exist or existing to love. And we like to think that existing to love is a better idea, a more comprehensive idea. And of course, although in a loving situation there may be less concern with my uh, dwelling or what's going on otherwise and knowing, hmm? still an existence and a knowing that is attached to loving is the best kind of existence and the best kind of knowing. And to play this out a little bit for you, um, the idea is that Brindavan, Krishna's place, it's a small place. Hmm? It's rural. It's depicted as such. It's small. There's not a lot of knowledge there, hmm? overtly speaking. They're country people, hmm? cowherd people. They know how to use cow dung to build, uh, to, to use for insulation, to cook with, for making chapatis and so forth, and milk cows, and uh, and it's agrarian. They know a little growing and, and, and so on and so forth. In particular, the cowherd people of Vrindavan are, he, he, from a caste point of view, they, they would be like the Vaishyas, but the Vaishyas have two... two a couple of senses of, of duty and responsibility. One is to, to, to be engaged in mercantile activities, business, trade. Hmm? And then there's the agricultural sector. And then there's the cow herding. Hmm? So within the, the cow herding is the lower end of it, if you will. I mean, uh, it doesn't take as much acumen to take care of a cow as it does to trade and do business or to grow. Hmm? So they're primarily coward people, and uh, and 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 on the move also, nomadic. Uh, they they moved from Mahavan across the Jamuna to Vrindavan, where Krishna um, grew up, because there were fresher grasses at the Govardhan Hill. So this d- description of this Vrindavan is, is a very small place. If you go to Brahman, it's like big Brahman. Consciousness, it's everywhere, the ground of being. Hmm? When you move from there to a more bhakti-oriented perspective in transcendence, you come in touch with the person, the personification of that consciousness. Narayana, four-handed, his world, his worlds are big and they're metropolitan, hmm? palatial, and uh, reverential is the is the is the uh, the uh, nature of the love there. Hmm? You go to Vrindavan; it's getting smaller. It's even smaller. Hmm? But what is getting bigger as we move from identification with Brahman to Vaikuntha to Vrindavan is the the measure of the affection and the, the possibility of intimacy. With the absolute, so the biggest place, if you will, is the place where there's the most love. Is the idea the most accommodating place? 
is where the, it's not what the walls are made out of or the floor is made out of, but what what goes on there. Hmm? And and so Vrindavan is depicted in this way as the realm of love in in intimacy, where and that's the best existence and that's the best kind of knowing, even though the knowing and the um, being are like subordinate to, to the loving, if you will. And of course, we have to also appreciate that there could be an existence that was unknowing, like matter. But if there is a knowing, there has to be an existence to accompany it. You can't know and not exist. But there could be a knowing existence that wasn't a loving existence. But if there's a loving existence, there has to be some knowing and some being. So in bhakti, in Bhagwan, who's the object of bhakti, the Godhead, Krishna, then we're looking at this perspective, we see that, oh, in a love, that being and knowing are really subordinate to to loving. They're included within loving. Being unto itself doesn't include loving and knowing. Knowing unto itself includes being, but doesn't include loving. But loving unto itself includes knowing and being. So so we like our own tradition. This is our own idea. And we do think it's the best, but we, but, and we have our reasoning for it and so forth, but we honor all of them and, and people come in touch with these ideas through through different disciplines and so forth and and uh, they develop a sangskar, the tendency towards a particular spiritual tradition based on the sadhus that they've contacted and and so on and so forth. So all's good uh, in one sense. If it's ego effacing, then it becomes big, then it becomes transcendent. So at any rate, I went off a bit on the tangent here, but Advaita in his home was teaching this kind of thing. This is how he was interpreting the Gita and the Bhagavatam. And it was a bhakti center, just like you have a Blissburg there, right? I think uh, Shigalim calls it, right? <laughs> it's in Pittsburgh, but he calls it Blissburg. They have a little center there. So I guess everybody's blissful and doing kirtan and all the time. And, and uh, this is what Dwayto was doing, something like that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so we heard a little bit about that earlier, and um, but what we didn't hear about, although Haridas's Thakur's name was mentioned, was that Haridas was his intimate associate. Here it's mentioned that in his mind, through meditation, Advaita gave charity to the Brahmins. He himself was a Brahmin from Brahmin sector, but he was a Vaishnav. The Vaishnavism, in it, you have. In, in India, you have the, the karma, jnana, and bhakti, let's say. So, karma means action. Jnana means knowledge, and bhakti means love. So, um, these, these terms, they're, they're really universal because they, they apply to different approaches to, to, to God and spirituality. So, there is, on the low end, there's the karma path wherein God is included in one's life in the pursuit of material acquisition. Hmm? Karma means, in, in this sense, action 
in pursuit of acquisition. So when we don't know ourselves to be an atma, when we, we feel a little empty, so we, need, we think we need to add things on to get a partner, get a dog, get a house, get a better job, whatever, and I'll, and I'll, just a little more and everything will work, you know, something like this. So, so there's a systematic method, the karma path, if you will, for acquiring things and, and ultimately attaining a celestial type of life where you could live for a long, long, long time. So long, as, well, it might as well be forever, but it's not. And so it's, the, it's part of this up and down of the karmic world. There's the highs and there's the lows, and the highs and the lows. But, but God is factored into the picture. So God is petitioned for having a good son, a good daughter, getting a good husband, this, that, and the other thing. It's the religious life. And you see this everywhere, right? Um, so this is the karma path. Now there's karma yoga, which is factoring in spirituality into the religious movement. So that so that there so there are certain there were thought to be certain types of people based on their psychology and their physiology and different duties and responsibilities were assigned to the different types of people and those duties were enjoined in the sacred texts. And so people would perform them, as I say, in pursuit of things. But then some people a little wiser than that would perform the duties without an attachment for acquiring the, the, the results and rather just because they should be done and that because they are enjoined in the sacred texts. So this leads to an ingress of inner wisdom about the nature of the self. Because sacrificing is the womb from which love is born. And love is not unknowing, as we've heard, so there's a kind of knowing. The first step in love is to step back from the things that I thought I was loving that I was really only attached to. There's a difference between attachment to something and to love. Attachment, we see it as something that I want for myself, and love is not about what I want, but it's about giving. It's not about taking, but about giving. So, so in the karma yoga, then re- religion turns spirit starts to turn spiritual, and then wisdom comes in, and um, and, and this wisdom or gyan leads one to the capacity to, for example, enter into contemplative life instead of a la- an active life, and and meditation on the self and it becomes the preoccupation and so on. This is the jnana marg. And then you have the, uh, the bhakti marg. Hmm. Um, so in, in, when we go back to the other end of the spectrum, the karma marg, the low end, where one is pursuing material acquisition and consideration of the gods and goddesses and some gratitude and that I'll do this and God will give me that, and so forth. This is the religious realm. It's called Varnashram. You might have heard the term. It's the religious realm. But Gyan is above that. So one who comes to Gyan, knowledge, knowledge of the self, experiential knowledge of the self, no longer has any social duties that they're bound by. 
So that in effect, the whole real result, the, the real, the real desired result of the karma marg, is that you you come to Gyan. Hmm? and so from the active life, you come to the contemplative life, hmm? and then beyond the contemplative life is, is is the life of bhakti, which is active in another way, hmm? all for Bhagwan, all for for the Godhead, and so forth. But love has action in it. And love has knowledge in it. Hmm? Hmm? There may be action without knowledge. There may be knowledge that retires action. Because if I have knowledge, why should I act in relation to things in pursuit of enduring happiness when the things don't endure? My knowledge is the things don't endure. Why should I do that? Hmm? So you can have action without knowledge. You can have knowledge without action. But in love... Hmm? which is the third thing. There is action and there is knowledge and they're both meaningful. They're serving, they're facilitating, they're loving. Hmm? So, this is the, the Vaishnav Dharma, if you will. It's called Parodharma. Hmm? So it transcends the, the Varnashram. One who becomes initiated into the Vaishnav um, mantra no longer has the social obligations and social religious obligations of the Varnashram um, as part, uh, not obliged there. He has, or he or she has other, um, it's like you've retired the law with love, something like that. That's why the Bhagavatam, our main book, is like the New Testament of the Vedic literatures. It retires the old law and brings in the love. Hmm? That's what it's about. Hmm? So, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu personifies this, the path of love. And, uh, so, at any rate, here, Advaita gave mentally, in charity to the Brahmins, means all the, the, the priestly class in, amongst their social-religious sector of the society. So, although he was above that particular discipline, so to speak. Hmm? Still he honored it and saw that it was necessary for some people. Hmm? So while we see there are a gradation, hmm? those on a higher or more evolved uh, state will honor the lesser evolved states because they're enjoying the sacred text and because people need them. And you can't tell everybody everything. They don't have an ear for it all the time. Hmm? So, this is why he gave in charity to the Brahmins, because he was a householder himself and a Vaishnava. And to use the term of uh, Baladev Bidibhusan, he was a... Um, what is the term? The Sanista, the... Nirapeksha, uh, Akinchina... Uh, what's the one in between? I can't remember the term. Anyway, he was in between. So he was he was completely detached and not really plugged in to the religious orientation, but he lived in a society where that was the social religious uh, uh, structure. And so he set a good example for others. Mm. Now, I bring this up because it's mentioned here that he gave in charity the Brahmins in his mind, but he's also mentioned here that he's with Haridas Thakur. Haridas was a Muslim. He was born in a Muslim family. So from the social-religious um, 
perspective of the Hindus, he was an outcast. Hmm? But they were buddies. They were close. Hmm? They were so close. Um, why were they close? Because Vaishnavism transcends these designations. Hmm? And the chanting of the holy name transcends uh, whatever are the religious um, norms and uh, expressions in the lesser evolved uh, caste system of, of Varnashram. And so he was an essential spiritual person. He recognized in Haridas, Haridas was known for chanting. Hmm? Uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu called him the Nam Acharya. Acharya means who teaches by example. He said, this person teaches by example how to chant. It said he used to chant 300,000 names of Krishna a day. When we chant on beads 16 times on the model, that's 25,000 names. So it takes usually a couple hours. So to chant 300,000, it took him 22 hours a day. And then he had two hours to eat a little something, take a bath, and start again. Hmm? So he was pretty absorbed, is, is, is the point. And he was an outcast. So you can see that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was a spiritual essentialist and he was also um, a person that uh, was involved in the social social reform, hmm? if you will. So it, uh, he was plugged in on, on, on that level as well. And he, and he would follow the system, the religious system, only to the point where it didn't contradict, the relative did not con, con, come in conflict with the absolute. So the relative would say, well, Haridas is a Muslim, he shouldn't, you know, shouldn't associate with him, but, but he's a devotee, so that's, that's it. It's transcended, something like that was the idea. So Haridas um, met with Advaita um, early on, and they were together for a long time. They're elders, as we heard from the beginning, of uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And um, to emphasize this point, I suppose a little bit's worth telling the story late, later related in the, in the text as, a, as the narrative goes on. There was the... Uh, Advaita was performing the, uh, the ceremony for um, the deceased relative. It's called the Shraddha ritual. And um, it, according to the Varnashram system, when a Brahmin performed the Shraddha ceremony, the offering that was given to Vishnu would then be given to the most elevated Brahmin in the community. So Advaita, in one sense, was the most elevated Brahmin, but he was performing the ceremony, so he had to give it to somebody. So all the Brahmins were associated, and they were all thinking, he's going to give it to me. He'll give it, maybe he'll give it to that guy. I don't think he should. This was quite what's going on in their mind, so to speak. It was all over your turn and gave it to Haridas, the outcast. And they were outraged. Hmm? So they couldn't understand what, the, the Vaishnav essential spiritual perspective. And then they went to their homes, but none of their sacrificial fires could light. They would keep the fire going. All the fires went out. <laughs> and so forth. And then they, so by the mystic arrangement of the way that they came to understand something about what he, why he did what he did and so forth and so so anyway Haridas was com- was fully embraced by um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Advaita and they were close Advaita and Chaitanya and 
and here it's it's uh, they're they're mentioned together. And they're mentioned together also in another way later on. In fact, later on in the narrative, there's a whole chapter dedicated to the qualities of Haridasdaka. There's a whole chapter dedicated to the, the passing from the world of Haridasa and how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu danced and held his body in his own arms and his own hands began to dig the the uh, the, uh, the samadhi, the place where he would be entombed, so to speak, on the beach in Jagannath Puri and made the proclamation, whoever celebrates this place, they will become freed from all um, impurities and so on and so forth. It's a very important point that's being made there by the uh, example of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, because it's thought that with regard to karma, hmm, there, karma is uh, in different stages. So there's what's called parabdha karma. That's like the karma that's manifest right now. Hmm? Like you've got a cold, okay? And then there could be, you haven't got it yet, but the, the germs have entered in and it haven't, you know, hasn't started to show any symptoms yet, right? If you catch it soon enough before that happens, you might be able to get rid of it. But once it comes, well, you've got to wait six days or, or a week, one or the other, <laughs> or whatever it is. So it's already, it's already manifest. So there's karma that's unmanifest and manifest. And that karma that's unmanifest is going through different stages from... Different names for it, but unmanifest to seed, to falomakam, to bearing fruit, and so on and so forth. So, in, in it's thought that through transcendental knowledge hmm, of the self, you can eradicate the cause of karma, which is ignorance, avidya, its root, and all of the karma that has not yet borne fruit. But the parabdha, the manifest karma, you have to wait until it just that expires. Hmm? And so there are mystics in the Gyan Marg, in the Path of Knowledge, they have realized the self, but the karma is still going on, and so they're just kind of witnessing, watching, and then it, then it finishes, the body dies. The body is the karma. Hmm? Then they enter into Brahman. But the, the interesting thing about bhakti, of course, as it's said in the sacred text, that it has the power to eradicate the prabdha karma, the manifest karma. It can cure the common cold, something like that. I mean, just to use that example. <laughs> it has that power. So Haridasa's body, from the socio-religious point of view, was thought, well, this is born in the Muslim family, so, you know, they are unclean by Indian perspectives, meat eaters, or, or whatever it may be the, uh, the case, and so forth. So, so... He may have been whatever he was. Maybe he was some kind of a devotee, but it'll show up in his next life. Then he could, then he could perform Hindu rituals and so on and so forth. But Mahaprabhu didn't accept that, although he didn't push on that, given the social environment in which he lived in. But he demonstrated it by taking the body of Haridas in his own arms and dancing in kirtan with him. And embracing the body and taking and entombing the body, if you will, rather than cremating the body, which is the Hindu tradition. Uh, but the saints whose whose bodies are thought to have been perfected because they were only engaged in spiritual activity, their senses were only engaged in relation to sense objects for the pleasure of Krishna, no other purpose. So their bodies take on a spiritual quality 
Hmm? And so the acharya, the guru, then his or her form is not cremated typically, but placed in a place of honor. We call it samadhi, and there's a ritual for that. And then people will come there and chant here, there, and derive something from the from the presence of the sacred um, remains of the of the acharya of the, of the saint. So Mahaprabhu did this, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, with the body of Haridastaka. So he, what he's saying is his parabdha karma, is, he has no parabdha. His body is actually spiritual, spiritualized, if you will. So he, this is, was his example. And if you understand the example, then you understand the teaching, which at the time was hard to come out with and institute entirely in the society because the tradition of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was just kind of beginning and you're forming a lineage, you can only, you know, you have to see how far you can go with people, you know, what you can tell them. You can't tell everybody everything all at once. So, so a great uh, person. And and here he's mentioned in terms of his being with um, contemporary, if you will, an associate of Advaita. And we know that Advaita called for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to come by his puja, by his archan. Archan means the deity worship. Deity worship is uh, is a, a limb of the body of bhakti, a way of expressing bhakti, and um, it tends to have a reverential element to it. We talk about love of God and intimacy. A fellow asked me not long ago, said, we always talk about love of God and intimacy, but I see you bowing down before the, the, the deity. So what's with that? Why don't we just, you know hang out with them, or something like that. And I said, because love and, and intimacy is goes on internally, in an internal meditative form hmm? of a gopi, for example, or a gopa, one of the coward people of Krishna, in the leela. Hmm? And this external form, we call it a practitioner's body, it may be spiritualized, but it has a different conduct. So we don't dress like gopis, for example. We may, someone want to become a gopi of Krishna in the Leela. We don't dress like gopis. We have a practitioner's body, and that functions in a different way. And so, M. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu showed that by his example. And so, um, so at any rate, the, the, the archan, the deity worship, has some measure of reverence to it uh, for the most part um, there are ways in which that's transcended also when the devotee starts the deity starts talking to you and says hey you know he told Sanatana Goswami who didn't have anything but unleavened bread to offer can't you offer any salt and then he said no because if I give you salt then you'll want ghee then yeah, and I'm a poor guy you know I'm living in the forest here if you want to live and so this is that's when the relationship with the deity becomes very Special, but then that's not to be imitated, right? So, at any rate, Advaita was doing the reverential worship of Vishnu, with the, uh, and calling for Krishna to come, and so on and so forth, for the purpose of Yuga Dharma, spreading the Dharma of, of chanting, and so on and so forth, but not in relation to the internal reasons for his appearance. Meanwhile, in the chapter later on in the narrative where Haridas Thakur's qualities are mentioned and various um, 
stories about him and his uh, his uh, love of Krishna and love for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu are, are told, it's mentioned that while Advaita called Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in his way, Haridas was living in a cave and chanting, doing Nambhajan, not Archan, but but uh, Japa, hmm? and calling for Chit, for Krishna to appear as well. So they are both um, um, kind of given credit for or. Uh, are, were instrumental, it's thought, in bringing about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance. But, but, but Haridas, through the chanting, Nambhajan is something that we may worship the deity, but there may become a point through our chanting in our meditation that, we've, that the deity is appearing in heart. And so one may not be as involved in archan. We may not go to the temple because he's running the temple... Krishna's in the name and he's experiencing the form of Krishna in, in the qualities of Krishna in the name, which are there, but it takes time to come out. The deity worship is thought to help us to come to that point, to assist us with our chanting. Because you could chant and fall asleep, but it's hard to worship the deity and fall asleep. So, uh, so and the more the, we pay attention and the senses are absorbed, the mind comes around and the heart is purified and the more prospect there is for internal Bhakti. So, point is what that that Advaiti was doing external bhakti and calling Krishna in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu for external reasons. And arguably, Haridas was doing internal bhakti hmm, and had something to do with was privy more privy to, let's say, the internal reasons for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's descent. So he's a very special person. He's he's called the Namacharya again, the one who Mahaprabhu said set the example of chanting. And the point here is that I'm making as well is that by the chanting, hmm, you can know, you can experience everything about the internal um, uh, life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. You come to participate in that. Some people think, and they they and, and they they teach like this, that that by the chanting, you cannot get everything. The guru has to give you. A, has to give you a, a swarup and say you are this gopi or this gopa and this is your name and age and, and so forth and, so, and then you have to chant and, and the chanting is, will, will without that the chanting won't reveal hmm, in, a, in a spiritual identity in, 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 in which you can serve Krishna they think without that the chanting will not be effective but this is a very mistaken Idea, because because why? Because by the chanting, obviously, you will experience Krishna, right? Krishna is non-different from his name, so when you chant purely, you have the darshan of Krishna. Now, when you have the darshan of Krishna, hmm, well, from what vantage point are you viewing him? In other words, the Bhagavatam says that Krishna appears in different forms to different devotees dependent upon the differences in their love for him. Hmm? So Krishna has different forms in which he appears according to different devotees. The same verse is interpreted in another way. Hmm? It says the same thing. 
that devotees appear in different forms of love to worship Krishna. They are the forms of love. So Yashoda, for example, is the form of, per, of motherly love for Krishna. Hmm? And Krishna, childhood Krishna, is the form in which he appears that corresponds with that love. Hmm? You understand? Krishna has friends. Hmm? So they love him in Sakirasa, fraternal love. So he appears in a certain way. He has certain qualities, and those qualities will stand out, certain ones, to certain devotees according to their different sentiments. Radha sees him in a romantic sense. So she sees him in, in a slightly different way. So the point, is, the point is that the love, the form of God, corresponds with the love of the devotee, hmm? which takes a shape. So, let's give another example. I could say I'm a guru. I saw this guy sometime back announce on the Facebook, I, I've decided I'm going to be a guru. Hmm. And I thought, well, if anybody else agrees with you, then maybe we can, you know, if you have a student, then maybe it's possible. But if you don't have a student, what's the, I'm a guru. I mean, a teacher is, is only such if it has students. God is only such if he has devotees, so to speak. Hmm. So, when we, when the, the metaphysic of Gaudiya Vaishnava, achintya beta beta, one and different, simultaneous one and difference, it means, in this sense, the love of Krishna and Krishna are one and different. So, Radha's love, hmm, that she's the personification of, has a corresponding object of love. Hmm, Krishna appearing in a certain way. You can't have one without the other. So you cannot chant the name and have Krishna revealed <laughs> and not have your your not have a not that have that not be a result of a certain type of love, a flavor of love, a taste of love, a rasa hmm, that that is has grown, developed, and manifest um, as uh, as the as the full blessing of bhakti in your life. So hmm, um, we should have confidence in the power of nam of the holy name, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur uh, said in his poem, K, uh, what is it? Uh, of K. Kirtana Prabhave Smarana Sobhave, that by the power of Kirtan, hmm, one will be able to, to eventually meditate internally hmm, in a particular nature, like as a friend of Krishna or as a lover of Krishna. Hmm? Um, so this type of internal meditation that's very central to Gaudiya Vaishnavism and part of more advanced practice in bhakti comes about naturally as a result of attending to the practices that are relative to you at an earlier stage. Hmm? So paying attention to the chanting is what will result in this. It could be that the guru could say, "I see your chanting and, and this and so forth." And, uh, and uh, um, so, fraternal love is coming in you. You should think of yourself in this way internally. That can also be there, but we cannot say that by practice that won't come about in a natural way. Uh, especially because we receive the name, we receive the mantra from the guru, we're receiving their faith in, in a seed-like form, and their association. And so, typically speaking their bhava, their ecstasy will come in us as well. Hmm? So, 
any rate, Harinas Thakur was a great devotee and is mentioned here as being a partner of Advaita and a partner in the, in the bringing of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, to the world. So, that's uh, that's about it for tonight. And <laughs> We didn't get through the end of the chapter, but um, the rest of the chapter is is very beautiful. Acharya Ratnashinivas Hoyla Mane Sukalas Jaisnan Koila Gangajale Anande Vivalman Kolehori Sankirtan Nanadana Koila Manupale Chandrasekhar Shivastaku were overwhelmed with joy and immediately they went to the bank of the Ganges. They bathed there. They chanted and also in meditation gave in charity. In this way, all the devotees, uh, wherever they were, situated in every city, uh, in every country, danced and performed Sankirtan and uh, and so forth. And then all sorts of respectable gentlemen and ladies carrying plates filled with various gifts came and offered presentations. And it was as if the gods had appeared on earth in the skies of Brahmins and were coming to celebrate the event and now they were bringing things to the house of Sachi and Jagannath where the child was born. Hmm? Um, so, Brahma came, Shiva came, Shingadev came, all disguised as devotees. So, it's a way of saying that uh, he is Krishna so all the avatars of Krishna are present in him. All the gods and goddesses. Um, so, this is the way the chapter comes to a conclusion. It says, no one could understand who was coming, who was going, who was dancing, who was singing, who was laughing. No one could understand, uh, nor could they understand one another's language yet. Hmm? All unhappiness and lamentation were immediately dissipated and people became jubilant. Thus, Jagannath Mitra, the father of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, was overwhelmed with ecstasy. Mm. The necessary rituals were performed and so on and so forth. Uh, mm. uh, different gifts were, were brought um, and oh, too many verses to continue so we'll, we'll stop there. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu ki jai, Sri Chaitanya Chaitamrita ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Bhandi ki jai, Gaur Premanandi.